Welcome back to Not Alone, a podcast about faith and wellness. We're so glad you're tuning in. This week, we pick up right where we left off with joy versus happiness. We'll talk more about the differences between the two, why they feel at odds with one another, and we'll also look into what the Bible has to teach us on that subject. To discuss all these things and more, here are Evan DeYoung, Michael McCord, and Lindsay Geist. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another wonderful episode of the Not Alone Podcast, the podcast that explores conversations on faith and well-being. I am Evan DeYoung, and I am joined this wonderful afternoon by Michael McCord and Lindsay Geist. It's great to be here with you. Thanks for having us back, even though you're stuck with us every week, Evan. Yes, they're only here at my (laughs) invitation, as you've seen from the last 28 episodes that we've released, or however many. (laughs) Uh, that, that was a cry for help is what it sounded like. Uh, if there's probably anyone who feels trapped in this relationship, it's probably Lindsay. <laughs> I think that's fair game. Yeah. <laughs> I love y'all so much. Uh, you are the brothers that I didn't have and didn't know that I needed desperately. Okay, that's not how I was going to finish that sentence, but I am so grateful for the two of y'all. It's like God looked down from heaven at Lindsay and said, you know what? She needs two people in her life to get her more off topic and to help her be less productive. And then she, she was gifted Michael and Evan. Oh, I am so grateful for my time every week with the two of y'all. I laugh harder with y'all than uh, any other part of my week. So thank you for helping me. Uh, chuckle my way through a few hours with y'all. Thank you. That means a lot to me that we can make you laugh. That you can enjoy this. <laughs> well, this week we Which are jumping fitting, back, right? Yeah. <laughs> it is fitting. I'm gonna I'm gonna move <laughs> us on to our segment. <laughs> so this week we are on our second episode talking about joy versus happiness. Now, Lindsay doesn't like it when I say joy versus happiness because it seems like they're in competition with one another and that you, there has to be a winner. You set it up like it's like this ultimate cage fight that joy versus happiness and one of those has to be winning. <laughs> That's true. And we know who wins, right? I mean, because joy is enduring like the turtle and then happiness is like the, you know, it comes in these m- moments of spontaneity. Right? But so, I still want I still want to cheer for happy sometimes. I'm not anti-happy. I think that's where we landed last week around it, was that we see happiness and joy as complementary, that they actually work together, that they're not that one is not better than the other or more holier than other, but they are pieces that work together in life. We don't have to have just winners and losers. Joy wins, happy no, loses. That's that's yeah. <laughs> We do need what, that, Michael. Is every, that what you're saying? It, it, in, in American Christianity and American life, it's like, you know, we, everything's got to be right and wrong, good or bad, winner or loser. This, this is a, a very interesting point in modern Christianity is that the way that we talk about joy often diminishes happiness. It makes happiness seem like the villain, like it's a bad thing to be happy. When I think the point that we started to touch on was that joy and happiness happen in tandem, but we shouldn't be reliant on happiness to carry us through, that there is a difference. And that's that's why I want to ask this question. Why, after studying it last week, why do you think it's important that we understand the difference between joy and happiness? Why even make a distinction between the two when we would say these are both feelings that make us feel good. So great. Why does it matter that we distinguish what it, what our state of happiness is compared to a state of joy? I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily know. They seem like I want both of them. So why should I know the difference between the two? I think the words that, as we said in our last episode, that we use interchangeably a lot, but I don't think that they are synonyms. But unless we spend time nuancing them, I think we use them at times we don't mean to. So happiness is usually a response to some sort of outward circumstance that happens. You win the lottery and you're probably really happy. Maybe you're extremely happy if you win the lottery. And joy is deeper than that. It's not just this response to one outward circumstance, it's usually based on inward contentment 
an inward satisfaction of something that carries you further. Hmm. So like happiness happens, but joy is. One happens. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I kind of thought about, I have, I have a, 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 some, some really long term friends. We've been friends since middle school. And whenever we're together, we have moments of happiness. Like, I mean, we're the, the energy's there. We tell old stories. We just laugh. We have an incredible, incredible time together. And that I would say those are, those are really happy moments. But for me, what's really makes those relationships deeply meaningful is that they're everlasting and they're ever present. And when things aren't great, life circumstances aren't great, they are still there for me. They're still supporting me, lifting me up, encouraging me. And I likewise am there for them. And, and that gives me a sense of joy that I'm not alone in the journey. Now, if all I search for in life were those moments of we're together, we're on a road trip together, having a blast or in the mountains together with our families, like those moments are wonderful and they, and they are, and I treasure them and they're important. But if that's all that exists, then, then when, when life circumstances aren't like that, it, you can find yourself in a place where you don't feel that kind of connection, connectedness uh, to something else. I think, I think, I think that's how I've thought kind of the, how those things work together. I really appreciate that example. That is really helpful for me to think through it that way. One of the things that we discussed was the fact that joy has a momentum and connection with greater purpose and happiness is more circumstantial. An example that we wanted to get into is some scripture that shapes our thoughts on joy versus happiness. We've talked about James 1, 2, right? James chapter 1, verse 2, uh, which James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Um, that one is used all the time. Consider it pure joy when you face trials. How many times have y'all heard that in the church? At least twice. It, it, it's, it's the tangent to, or, the, or, or maybe something that runs sort of parallel to that toxic positivity that we mm-hmm. had in our last episodes. Um, and that idea that, that we have to find the silver lining in everything. And that what you do to confront sorrow and heartache is just proclaim joy. As if you can just say, I'm joyful. It's like that scene in The Office when Michael Scott declares bankruptcy and he just yells, I declare bankruptcy. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I I declare joy. Let there be joy. Well, I mean, even even I'm looking at different translations of that same verse, um, different versions of it. So the one we just said was the New New International Version, NIV. And so the New Revised Standard Version, NRSV, says, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. And I don't exactly feel in those really challenging moments of my life. I think part of why I wrestle with understanding joy is the way that verses like this feel like they've been co-opted in some ways. And like, I'm supposed to be rejoicing when bad things are happening. That's a great point. And many times, like in scripture, the following verses for some context, I think, give us some more information because we generally get the quick hits, right? The scripture verses that kind of pop up or those quick segments or pieces of scripture. But in verse three and four, it goes on and there's a because, right? It it gives you a reason. Now, sometimes you don't get as explicit of a reason as you get here in James chapter one about why we're supposed to do certain things. Sometimes it's just hey, listen, this is the way it should be. This is what's best for us. This is created intent. It's fine. But we get a little more oomph here from James chapter one, because it says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So there's this connection of joy to purpose and perseverance is a character trait. 
And we should take the opportunities to persevere as an opportunity to build our character, which should increase our joy because we connect back to purpose and not just circumstance. So I see the roundabout connection there, but I see the danger in just clipping it right at verse two as well, because if you don't apply the perseverance component, it really leaves us disconnected from the actual reason that we're supposed to count trials as joy. And that disconnect is extremely dangerous. Yeah, I I think it's also contextually you have to sort of understand where scripture sits too and and the purpose that it's trying to serve because if if you look at it from uh, a sort of our perspective and you read it as if it is which is I think one of the challenges we, we kind of are up against in 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 our tradition is that we read the Bible as if it's a prescription as if you're reading the back of the ibuprofen bottle and telling me exactly how many pills I should take and when I should take them and what they're, what they're for, right? And then so if you if you see the Bible as that kind of tool, then you read a passage like that and you're like, oh, well, okay, if I'm if I'm experiencing sorrow, I need to be joyful. And then you're like, so so you pro- proclaim joy and 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 that's sort of a, a way to look at this. But I think contextually, the, the Bible, the, the writers are really trying uh, to inspire people who are really hurting. And in in a in a in a setting in a place where they're trying to remember that they're part of something else, something bigger. Something bigger is happening. That you're not alone, even though you're dispersed, and even though you may not be together, and you may be experiencing um, extraordinary heartache. That God is still with you, and you're not alone. And and may that give you some sense of contentment or joy. May that be a gift to you to remember you're not alone. Which is kind of, I think, I think the attempt of what's happening here, and that, and that, that res, that gift of togetherness creates perseverance, allows you to endure. Which I think a lot, with probably resonates to a lot of us that we feel like we have to endure a lot. Sometimes we have to be persevere through some really long, maybe lifetime kind of heartache, uh, and and so I think that's the attempt that James is getting at in sharing this. I, I don't know, but it's kind of how I read it. Why don't you call your friend James and have him come on the podcast? See if he'll clear it up for us. You, <laughs> excuse, excuse me, sir. Could you clear schedule? See if you can get his assistant on the line. But do you see how, I mean, I think it is easy to read. I think I was taught. I don't know that I should, it's fair to say I was taught. I assumed that reading the Bible was like reading a prescription and, and that you're sort of strip away the the literary nature of the Bible, the contextualization, the historical location of the Bible, and and understanding a little bit more nuance because it because you know people talk about it like if you got a problem, just turn to the Bible and flip to this, and your pro- problem will be resolved. It's, I think, the joy is this interconnectedness that we talked about in the previous episode that there that we're connected to one another, we're connected to God, uh, that that is what can bring that underlying contentment and satisfaction and joy. Mm. I I think I also want us to get back to the real question that kind of spawned all this, which is, why is happiness bad? And why should I feel guilty whenever I feel happy? And should we? Oh, wait, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> we happiness, shouldn't at all. Happiness is not bad. I think what, what gets utterly confusing about this topic to me is that if you look up in the dictionary definition of joy, it describes it as a state of happiness. But if we start talking about joy in the church world, And biblically, that's where the differentiation starts. Mm -hmm. And so if we talk about what Michael's saying of contextually, what are we reading? Are we reading the dictionary version of joy? Are we reading uh, the church and biblical connotation of joy? Yeah, if there's one thing we're really talented at in the church world, it's taking something that is essential 
human experience that isn't necessarily bad and overthinking it so much that we feel guilty about it. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> we're experts. And so I wonder if in some ways happiness uh, reflects the secular world and joy represents the the church world and biblical our deeper joy. yeah biblical yeah. joy and so the, it's almost like we've decided that one is secular and one is our hmm. biblical side and so that's why we might pit them against each other and actually try to put them in the ring against each other and divide ourselves over we should be seeking joy and not happiness yeah, when it, we really can hold both. It's it's really complex when you understand that joy, that's one of the challenges of the English language is our sort of our limited words that hold meaning. So joy actually encompasses quite a number of of Hebrew words and Greek words in the in the original text of the of the Bible. And and because of the translation, they end up, you know, they like one of them uh, it means mirth, which is uh, which is a fun word to say anyway. And mirth, mirth is especially is express it's amusement, especially expressed in laughter. Hmm. Right. So so that becomes joy, um, because that's what fits in. T- you know, at least in the translator's mind, that's what fits best with the context of that of that word uh, in scripture, and so. When you use like, you know, 10 different kinds of expressions of gladness and happy and joy and and then lump them into one English word that means joy, you lose a lot of substance, I think, and 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 maybe nuance is maybe the better way to put it. Could can, be. can we get a little context on one, why we why we why we would or should care about the original language that these texts were written? And compared to how we necessarily translate them, because I think that's a common question that I get all the time is why are the translations different? Why does it matter what it was originally written in? Why do we think that that's important, especially for those of us who didn't grow up in the church? So why, why do I care what the Hebrew and Greek text are and what's the context in which it's relevant and exploring scripture? Well, first of all, if, if you're a, theological dork like us, then you just really want to know what did it actually originally say there? No, I, I, I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's useful in lots of different ways for just simply this, to understand that joy is, is more than what we think it is. It's more complex, more nuanced, more subtle than what we think of it. And so when you're reading the scriptures, so you're going to read it in English, you're not going to pull up the Greek or Hebrew version uh, and you know, you're not going to learn a different language. Some of you will. Uh, Unless but... you're in seminary and you're required that's right. to, that's to right. finish. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. But I, I think to understand, I guess there's, there's, there's two things to understand. One is that it is all those things. The other is that this is a, a work of, of art and history together. It's the scriptures are, is a combination of a story of people across a vast period of time that continues to evolve today. It's a living thing. I mean, even as we uh, continue to come out with new translations, even now that, that, that change because our language has changed and our understanding has changed and we just found more Dead Sea Scrolls just last week. So we're learning more and we understand more. And so if you think of the scriptures as something that is living rather than something that is, that is finite, um, I think you have a deeper appreciation for what you encounter when you read. Mm. E- explain to me how that is different than God changing over time. Because sometimes when we see like, oh, we've got you know a new understanding of this text, it it's it's hard to reconcile where God is the same, right? And he's consistent. But then you get these updated Dead Sea Scrolls and it just seems like, is God changing? Is he the same? Is it just our understanding? Explain to me why I should trust that and that should make me excited compared to feeling like that's a reason that I should not trust Scripture and God as he explains himself to be through Scripture. 
I wonder if to to pivot a little bit is to think of if you if you could if we could just step away and think of God as uh, if you put a let's say you put a vase in the middle of a room and you are and there's a circle of you sitting around that vase and all of you are looking at that same vase that is and will ever be but from your vantage point whether that's a vantage point that is 50 years from now or 200 years ago or a thousand years ago, or just a different angle, a different language, a different culture, a different understanding about where you see and how you see. Um, you see different colors, you different see angles, you different shading and, and shadow and all those sorts of things. It's, it's very different when you see a three-dimensional object that is, that is constant in front of you. But when you move around it, you'll experience a very different understanding of that object. And so I think if, if for to step away to see scripture or to see to see scripture as something that is as a collection of people speaking about that vase that sits in front of them I mean that ultimately that's what scripture is it's mm-hmm. it's all these historic figures all of our our family looking around and saying here's what I see and here's where I am in history and here's what I see and sharing it with with all of humanity right and then it, it, it evolves because we see it too. We add our voice and our language and our understanding into that. And I think, I don't know if that's helpful sort of image, vision for, for, for maybe thinking about how God can be both concrete and both be, both be real and alive and steady. Uh, and then, you know, humanity is kind of around this in some multi-dimensional way. Language is what we use to try to further describe things, but it's also so limiting in a lot of ways. I mean, I can say that I love French toast and I love my sister in the same sentence. And those mean two very different things. (laughs) Um, And I use those two examples because like, I really love French toast. Um, And I'm a person that says, gets a lot of joy out of small moments. And so I will say, oh, I love that that my favorite song just came on the radio. I love this weather today. I love French toast. I love that moment that we shared. I love this person. And those all have very different meanings, but we're stuck with one word um, or a word that's limiting that I'm trying to use to describe everything. And that's where I think in the translations over the years, unfortunately, we will always be stuck. Language will always be limiting. As much as our goal is using descriptive language to free us and be more descriptive, it's still going to limit us. Hmm. And depending on what language you're speaking in is how much nuance you can use. I the think, English language is just bad about it. Yeah, I think, well, I think language does both. I think it is both liberating and limiting. Because as the language of, I mean, we, we were laughing before this recording about the, like the 1950s radio American voice, which is in the language that they used back then online, because Evan was attempting a, a 1950s radio voice intro. and it was, I did um, a good job. I, you did a great good. job. It was not just but an attempt. It was I, a good job. <laughs> it was a solid, <laughs> it was a solidly good job. But think about how much American language, just narrow in on American language, changed over the last 70 years. What words people choose to use, how they use it, what new words have emerged. Uh, so in some ways, uh, Language also continues to evolve and both liberates and limits our understanding. But I think you're right. I mean, like if you stand on the cliff uh, of a great view and you can try to attempt to tell someone about that experience, but unless you're standing there, you can't experience it in the same way. You can't put it to words. That's where I think the word joy is so hard for me is that it's like looking at a sunset and having to describe it to somebody that the word joy doesn't seem to capture the bigger feeling of overwhelm and interconnectedness and inner contentment that rises up within me in that moment. But I think you guys have convinced me that 
it is important to pay attention to the distinction between the, the words that we use to describe the human experience. Uh, and that's a lot of what scripture does is puts some lang- tangible language to the human experience. And it's art, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's more than just instructional text. There's more to it. One thing that has really kind of consumed my thoughts about this topic between the last episode and this one is how necessary the deconstruction is of some of these essential parts of our humanity. And what I mean by that is everyone is born and lives life and develops a different view on joy, happiness, those emotions and those experiences. And we're shaped by so many things around us in our life until we are at the point where we're at today. If we don't look at joy and happiness and attempt to deconstruct the way that society, the world, family, upbringing, and circumstances have shaped our view on joy and happiness and understand the purposes and plans that God has created us for, we're just going to carry whatever has happened, the way that the world has tossed us about, whether we were led well and stewarded well, whether someone taught us about joy and happiness or not, whether it's an accurate or a healthy view of those two, we're just carrying that in. And we have to strip it down a little bit in order to understand the components and how they work in order to allow God to shape and mold our hearts for what joy and happiness are supposed to look like for us because they're happening either way. We feel happiness and we feel joy, but our ability to understand and interact with it and then understand the arc of our lives and where God has taken us and how we've grown and struggled. If we don't have the ability to do that, we're just going to have a view of joy and happiness that is some mangled attempt at living life. And God says, there's more to this than just experiencing happiness and experiencing joy. There's more to this than endorphins and fuzzy feelings. There's actual real life application. And if you can dial into this, because the way that scripture talks about joy and happiness, I mean, it's it's a ton. Lindsay, I mean, you have some thoughts, I think, on the amount and frequency that we see the word joy and happiness come up in scripture. I wonder if you could speak some more to that because God obviously is trying to communicate to us that this is essential to the human experience and to Christianity. Yeah. I went on a uh, very scientific research dive called Google and (laughs) tried to Google to see if anybody had any tracking of how often joy is talked about in scripture and came across one source that said in the King James version, joy was mentioned about 165 times. Uh, the NIV version about 218 times. Uh, so both of those are a whole heck of a lot. Um, Anywhere from 165 to 218, uh, different translations probably count it differently. Uh, then further reading said that in the English Standard Version, uh, because joy is you joy, rejoice, joyful, they counted it all in one, uh, came together 430 times versus the word happy or happiness, which was only and scripture 10 times. So it sounds like from a biblical perspective, there is much more pursuit of joy or talk about joy than happiness. And maybe to them, they felt a little closer. Maybe they felt like totally different things. Maybe they never defined them as quite as different as we do these days. It's just fascinating how language is used. Which yeah, I, think, I think further confuses me of like, is one count as more secular language and one is what we're pursuing? I um, really think what we what I walk away with that is just th- is the broader picture that together there are 440, 450 some odd instances in which the the authors of the Bible have expressed uh, an urgency, a need, a reminder 
a callback, uh, an encouragement to to seek out and experience and embrace joy and happiness in recognizing that they are and that we, by that extension, live a life that is that is filled with heartache and sorrow and hurt and to to be reminded that God is God hopes for uh, and longs for you to experience joy and happiness and wholeness. Um, and I, as those, as we were talking, I, I thought there, so there's, there are two ways to look at this, right? One is that, that it's, you're the pursuer, right? That you to be, and that's how often the scripture sometimes feels. It's like, it's, it's in that, like in James or in, in so many references in which someone's experiencing hurt and saying, you know, take, take note that, that joy is on its way, that joy is with you. Be, be joyful, rejoice. When we think about joy as an expression of God's interconnected with us and, and God's love and redemption for us in all things, then we think about how that's dependent upon us having meaningful relationships with both our Creator and all that God has created. And so joy, this idea of joy, is not only something that we should look for, but maybe it's also something we are called to share. And that really what we when you read the lens, read the scripture through that lens, is it's a reminder that we're to be as these writers were and to go into places where people are experiencing sorrow and hurt and heartache and saying and sharing joy with them, sharing hope, uh, which is deeply connected with joy. The idea of the sort of the idea that, that things will be better, things that, that God has a way of working through us and that gives us hope. So, to, that, so, so not only are we maybe to be pursuers of joy, but maybe we should be carriers of joy. And we're reminded 450 times to do that. I pause so long because I'm just trying to think of how can I intentionally be, be a carrier of joy? Hmm. Think of a time when you experienced a sense of joy that was brought on by somebody who shared life with. What was that like? I mean, it almost felt infectious that you wanted to carry it to the next the next person, the next interaction. There's something about the meaningfulness of it, I, I think. And I love the question. That distinct moments when you experience joy, there's like a meaningful connection involved with that experience of joy, whether it's with nature or people or my dog you know what i mean like like i like i get so much joy from this stupid animal <laughs> because you know it's a constant presence it reminds me of things i mean even those little things obviously you know it makes me happy but what's really <laughs> interesting about my own psyche as i've continued to think about it since our last conversation I didn't realize how much I have a what goes up must come down mentality when it comes to uh, my emotional state until we hmm. started talking about this. And I'm really interested to hear your thoughts because I started realizing when I'd feel happy about something or joy or trying to distinguish the two, I would also start thinking, wonder when this is going to end. I wonder what's going to be the thing that comes along. Like it's been a good day. So, you know, what's, you know, what's eventually this is going to fade and something bad is going to happen, which is going to take this from me, you know? And I was like, I didn't realize I was compromising the moments <laughs> that I was having <laughs> within them. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I was, I was like, Oh, okay. Like I really, there's more fear involved in this process and experience than I realized or gave credit for since the last time we talked. Mm. It's afraid of it ending. I wonder if some of that comes back to when we're sitting more in happiness than joy, that if we feel happy in response to outward events, happiness can feel elusive or we're, fearful of the scarcity of happiness 
versus joy feels the more I'm sitting and hearing this and wrestling with it in my brain, joy almost feels more like a mindset than just a feeling. I don't feel like I have to run after joy. As we said earlier, it's almost joy is like a state of being that, but when I'm trying to be happy, I do really sense some almost desperation at times when we're in hard places that I am, I desperately need, want the happiness and afraid it won't last long enough. When in reality, maybe I should be pursuing more joy. I think the, the interconnected relationship between the two is, is, is big. I tried to use this analogy this week when I was thinking of it was the Is it moments. a food analogy? It can be. Do you want it to be? I can shoehorn it. No, it's a, it's okay. I just was we I think we've gone a several episodes without uh, one of your famous food analogies. So, I was just prepping myself for it. Uh it, it's a food analogy now. I <laughs> It's it's a food analogy now. Don't worry. And so I tried to do these little exercises this week to see. And so one of my theories was that part of the interconnected relationship between happiness and joy uh, is that happiness, I tried to think of joy like, okay, is joy this week, is it kind of like a reservoir? And these moments where joy and happiness kind of overlap, right, where I have a hard time distinguishing it, am I allowing that to kind of refill my joy reservoir? It's almost like carb loading when you know you're going to do like an athletic activity. Like there's this, okay, I need to give my body what it's going to need tomorrow, today, so that I can anticipate it. Or I, you know, I've worked out and, you know, studies show that if you consume protein within a certain time frame of doing exercise, you maximize your health benefits and the opportunity for your muscles to grow and helps with recovery, all those different things. So I tried to think of joy and happiness in those terms like okay i'm doing something i feel joyful i'm I'm happy here am i allowing this to actually not just be a feeling of elation but is this is this being digested by my soul am i actually connecting this moment and this feeling to my purpose and allowing it to fuel and nourish my body in times for the future as well. So am I savoring and being mindful the same way that I would nutrition when it comes to happiness and joy instead of pursuing moments of feelings and endorphins? So what is the relationship between feeling it and then that kind of joy reservoir? And whether that's a good theory or not and whether it lines up, it made those moments a lot more meaningful and impactful to me, maybe just for the sure fact that I slowed down a little bit and was intentional with it. I, I think that's actually a really helpful framework for thinking about how these live out in our lives and maybe why they live out, why they're so important, why they're mentioned so often in scripture. Is that, And I think, too, looking back at your earlier comment where you, when you're experiencing a moment of happiness, you you also know that it's not always, it's fleeting. You recognize that emotionally and psychologically, you, rec- you recognize that this moment of euphoria or enjoyment is not going to last. And so you're taking a moment to catalog it. You're, you're saying this is important to remember because it's not always going to be here. And you, you use that, you use the word robbing you, which I think that the fear of loss can become an obsession so much that it causes you to freeze. But I think what you're actually doing, just knowing you, is you're cataloging. You're saying this moment is really important and it's really fun and I really am happy right now. I know it's not always going to be this way. So I want to remember this so that I get into the place where it's not like this. I can hold on to this memory to know that I have, that there are other times there's hope. That's part of what builds into hope, how hope lives into us is that you know you've experienced good times in life. And if you're experiencing a really hard moment in life, be joyful to know that good things can happen still, even in the midst of really hard things. So, yeah, I think that that is 
uh, it's a really interesting it's an interesting way to think about it and it's an interesting intentional exercise it ties in a lot Lindsay, to what you said about journaling the, especially when we talked about emotions in the previous episode we talked about the feelings wheel uh, which is a tool to help understand and articulate the different feelings that you have and Lindsay challenged us to keep a journal either in our mind or actually write down you know the different feelings that we experienced and uh, that kind of transcendence and interconnectedness of a mindfulness practice and how it helps to make things stick uh, I think it was really neat to be able to use that tool set that we developed together in our previous conversations to evaluate something that even felt more nebulous and trying to articulate happiness versus joy uh, and just how beneficial it is to take the time to slow down and especially with joy, share it with folks. Um, I, cause I think, I think there's ways that we can jumpstart when things are kind of off track too, because when we help provide joy to others, it sometimes for me feels kind of like, you know, jumpstarting a dead car battery because you hadn't started the car in two months because COVID. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 absolutely contagious. You know, it's 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 something that people. If you are a bearer of joy, you will share that joy and it will multiply, and you you can see that in all kinds of. I just thinking about last night, uh, my daughter had her first basketball game, so if you can imagine a bunch of nine and 10 year old girls playing basketball for the first time um, and what kind of chaos there was that ensued. But they had a, they had a referee who just had the biggest smile, the greatest presence. And every time uh, one of the girls would make a mistake would foul or double dribble or, you know, whatever, you know, set some technical malfunction <laughs> that's happening out there <laughs> or start crying because they missed a shot. He would stop and he'd get down to their level and look at them and give them encouragement and just smile like the biggest smile you can imagine. And he changed their whole attitude and it changed the whole room because the, the, the ref was there not to just enforce rules or provide structure, but it was to share joy and make the game fun. And I think about just that little role that he played in that life, in those moments with those, those girls, created a whole synergy of joy. And I think that as Christians, that's what we're really called to do. And that this reminder, this mantra of going back to remember that when things are hard, share joy. When things get really difficult, be joyful. And be joyful is not just about you experiencing joy. It's about sharing joy. Live in the joy that is being together, that you're not alone in this life. And, and I think ultimately, if we did that, if we practiced that, think of, think of the way we could live life differently. I'm deeply in love with that analogy. How bad did you feel when you screamed and got in his face because he made a bad call? I shortly cussed him out right after that. I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, at, local I, man kicked out of children's I, basketball game. Local pastor arrested. How, I mean, really, when we're talking about the change of attitude in that whole game, how many parents' attitudes did it change? Because... It was the first game, so I'm guessing that there weren't too many angry, way too serious parents about this game yet. No, but... I think we're all, we're all just amused by the experience. But we actually, so I was the scorekeeper, which I have never done before either. So he was very encouraging of my skill set to track fouls and scores. And we actually had to foul a young girl out last night. Um, on the first game? On the first game, because she, she had probably 20 fouls. <laughs> <laughs> you foul out at five and and i was like you know I, I mentioned to him where we were and he's like yeah I, th I think we have to he said ultimately it's just going to make her better if she if we set her some boundaries and say you know you really got to set out because you can't keep elbowing girls in the face <laughs> okay <laughs> Whoever this referee is, are they available for hire for other I know. events and We're circumstances? Just, we all this need a little bit of thoughtful. good coaching. <laughs> but let me tell you, uh, after the game, a couple of the parents were all talking to, to Emily. We're all new to basketball. but these parents Emily is your wife. Emily is my wife. We're, yeah. And we're all talking. And they said, oh, he has a reputation. Everyone in Gwinnett County knows that ref because that's how he treats everybody in every game. 
And I was like, that, that's, that's what, when God says, be joyful, I think that's what God means. Even in hard circumstances where you have to tell a little girl she can't play anymore because she's had too many fouls. Too many elbows in the face. Too many elbows in the face. (laughs) Still yet be joyful, right? And then when you experience really tremendous, I mean, we see this when crisis hits. Right now, a big tornado just went through south of us, southwest of of where we live. And and, and there is a tremendous heartache and hurt and fear, very real loss. And yet what we'll see is people's joy spread kindness to each other, connectedness, desire to serve each other. That's what God means when he says, be joyful in the middle of heartache and sorrow. Maybe we need that riff on our podcast. Yeah, does he need a job? I do. I just wanted to be my my friend. I will be say your that, personal life coach. Just go with this, you everywhere. Yes. Well, this is it's what I did. It's not that bad. It's you did a good job. I'm sorry we have to have these consequences, but you're still a great person. That's right. That's what. I, that's all I need. Every once in a while, I just need to call that. We need a one eight hundred number that you can just call because you're having one of those days, and someone reminds you. And I think ultimately, Lindsay, that's my, when I talked about my friends from from middle school. What's so great about those relationships is they they remind me that it that I am a that I'm good, and that that they know they truly know me. And so when 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 bad things happen to me, they remind me that I'm still good and I'm still who I am, and they and they know me and they still they still love me. What more could someone want in the middle of hurt or hard is to be remembered that you're loved. I so think I, that's a. I have a assignment. Go ahead. I have an assignment. We did homework last week. I have homework. I, Let's I'm, go. I'm helping a friend. A friend of mine is doing a series on joy at his church, and we were we were thinking about ways to invite people to practice joy and to 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 be joyful, to share that. And one of those things that we're going to, he's going to be doing with his congregation is inviting people to write letters to people. I received a letter a few weeks ago. I, I preached a, a, or shared a devotion and, and a person wrote me this, I mean, incredibly personal, very specific letter. It was short. It wasn't, it wasn't long, but it was deeply meaningful. And I have told probably more people about that letter because of how much joy it brought to receive it. Um, because someone took time to do that when, when it wasn't required of them to do that. And I, so I think I wondered if we might give each other some homework is to, to write a letter or a text. I think letters are better than I'm writing a letter. letter. I like a good letter. Write a letter to somebody because that might be my favorite thing that's come out of the pandemic is, is more mail to one another. Yeah, it takes seven times longer than it did before the pandemic, but and they can't but, read it because my handwriting. I haven't that's, written. That's a real. That's that's my real challenge. But I wonder if we challenge each other to write at least one letter to someone uh, in which we are joyful and we share the joy that we have for that person and that we've experienced, so that it might give them a, a sense of of reminder in the middle of whatever they're facing. Because I can guarantee you, everybody's facing something right now. And a letter out of the blue from someone they love could could be the kind of joy they need in their life. I love it. I've got my, I've got my thank you. Evan is actively collection. right now pulling out his <laughs> he, note He really cards. is digging through a drawer to pull out cards. This, this card, it says, you uplift others around you. And it's this wonderful person with balloons giving one to a dachshund in a striped shirt. And the dachshund's floating? He's jumping. He's standing on his hind legs or jumping up. Hallmark for a while this year to try to spread joy uh, was doing a free positive card campaign where you could go to their website and sign up and they would send you a few free blank cards to send to friends. No. I do not know if that's still happening, but it happened several rounds worth during this past year that they just really wanted people to send mail to one another and to uplift one another. I love it. Oh, I think it's the kind of thing that could, you know, it changed my day and it, I think if, if it lands in the right person, it could really change uh, their day and maybe much more to be reminded that they're loved and that, that the joy persists, even when it seems there's no way for joy to persist. So there's your challenge. 
to all of Let's us. Let's do it. Yeah, what if we all did it? What if everyone who listens to this took the time to write one one letter? That would be awesome. That'd be kind of a cool thing. And see what Come happens. on, everybody's doing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's, good peer pressure. Do you write letters to your friends? Be a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> I might have to use that service. You know, there's a service you can just type in the letter and then the, the computer handwrites it for you because my handwriting was so bad. And I'm it gonna cramps outsource my, my letter. My hand cramps off. On I, haven't, Fiverr. I haven't I haven't written in so long. It cramps off. The thought, it's the thought that counts. If I, re- <laughs> if I receive a letter from either one of you where I can read nothing in it, the thought that you took time to send it to me will matter. I think one of my favorite things, my, my daughter just did this recently. We shipped a package to my mom and it was in a box, uh, a white box. And she, Ellie, <laughs> Ellie, took markers and wrote messages to the UPS drivers like all over the outside of the box. But the best part was it was a FedEx box that we were shipping in. <laughs> so she she crossed out FedEx because FedEx was late on one of her Christmas gifts. She, <laughs> she, she holds that against FedEx very closely. So <laughs> Oh, goodness. Oh, my goodness. That, uh, that was a random tangent of the day. All right. I love it. I love it. Well, thanks. I appreciate you guys. Listening. <laughs> thanks, Lindsay and Michael. Thanks, Justin, for uh, producing this episode. Justin Patton, uh, you're wonderful. We love you dearly. Thanks, everyone, for your comments and thoughts. And we're enjoying season two, and we're glad to know that you are as well. So we will see you next episode. Bye-bye. You guys didn't say bye-bye. Be joyful. We- we we just hung up the we just hung up the phone and nobody said bye. Bye mom. Bye mom. <laughs> bye grandma. <laughs>